This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honestly the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Poison. I'm Andrew Garrett. Um, this is another entry in the Redux edition of our podcast where we'll be posting bonus non-character actor content for anyone subscribed to HPN+. Plus. And uh, this episode we're trying something new, and something that may become a recurring feature for HPN Plus subscribers, where while in our main feed we mostly talk about character actors, here our focus will be on uh, A-listers. Certain mini-episodes will see Andrew and I pick a star, and then we each recommend one movie in which that star stars, and uh, that people they should check out, that people should watch. Its working title is Leading Legends at the moment. Leading Legends. Yeah, we're going to talk this week about uh, Brad Pitt. And uh, I know we tend to, you know, run down an actor's history at the start of our main front episodes. And, but, you know, everyone knows who Brad Pitt is, but you prepared a little something, right? I prepared a little something, yeah. So Brad Pitt was born in Oklahoma in 1963. He rose to national attention as a cowboy hitchhiker in Thelma and Louise. He is best known as Tyler Durden in Fight Club, Robert Rusty Ryan in the Ocean's Trilogy, Achilles in Troy, and Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He has had a successful producing career as his company Plan B Entertainment have produced some of the best and most diverse films of the last 15 years, including The Departed, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, 12 Years a Slave, Okja, Moonlight, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and Ad Astra. Widely regarded as the sexiest man alive for well over two decades, Pitt is one of the most influential men in Hollywood and the entertainment industry overall. Yeah, and like this idea has been rambling around for a long time between us, but, but I think it was you who raised it, particularly Pitt. And uh, I know you constantly reference him as being a character actor trapped in an A-lister's body as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, do you want to talk about, you know, what you like about Pitt and maybe talk a little bit about your theory? So, like, there's the the, a- the leading man's body, which is, like, you know, really a face that looks great on camera, great hair, rippling abs, biceps, they're over six foot. Uh, a lot like me, really. Um, <laughs> I, see my, see my, I see myself in a lot of them. Theatre of the mind. themselves in me. But there's a thing, like... Uh, like I suppose you'd call it character actor energy, where um, or the vibes of a character actor, where um, people will just sort of choose maybe weirder roles that uh, or that would be like more morally ambiguous or like um, just kind of more flawed or sometimes even evil characters. Um, and I think Brad Pitt is definitely one of those people, especially um, with his character Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the likes of Tyler Durden in Fight Club, where it's this really gorgeous man who is um like in one case um you know who starts a terrorist movement and uh, to destroy the financial industry as we know it and in another case is may or may not be guilty of um spear gunning his wife on a fishing trip and like that's just not someone you'd see let's say chris pratt play or um something like that like robert denny jr character actor energy it's just he was stuck as Iron Man for well over 10 years. And I thought hopefully we'll get to see more more weird shit from him uh, in the years to come. Yeah, I just think that um, some leading men have a more specific kind of uh, energy that goes beyond, like, action movie hero or, um, you know, someone that, you know, they're just not, they're not necessarily people that uh, you pay to see their performance as opposed to you pay to see, to see the good guy win if you get me yeah exactly it's a hard concept to explain but i think i did a terrible job no no i i, com- <laughs> I completely i completely understand what you mean there's no set kind of definition of character actor in a lister it's sort of no, just something you yeah. kind of feel um but yeah i consider myself a big 
Pit fan too. Um, it's just in a lot of very good movies and very diverse movies. I mean, going from Seven to Snatch to Burn After Reading to The Counselor, it's kind of wild to think that's all the same dude, you know? Yeah. And um, also, you got to give him props as well for, for being not only one of the best guest stars in Friends, but also for kind of you know, using his clout to get works of uh, art that uh, he doesn't even appear in to the screen, you know, like as you mentioned, yeah. you know, Produced the Departed, Lost City of Z, Pills Street Could Talk, Kajillionaire, the series The OA on Netflix. And a lot of those are just very important or ambitious or daring kind of projects. So, um, yeah, do you want to talk about your pick? Uh, it's the You picked The Assassination of Jesse James? I did. The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. So Brad Pitt plays Jesse James, a confederate outlaw and gang leader who takes the young Robert Ford, who's played by Casey Affleck, uh, under his wing, ultimately bringing about his own downfall. Charlie, you stay with the animals. Me and the kid will walk into that bank just before noon. Bob will move that cashier away from the shotgun that's under the counter. And I'll creep up behind that cashier. And I'll cock his head back like so. And I'll say, how coming off scouring of creation like you still sucking air with so many mining coffins? I'll say, how did you get to reach your 20th birthday without leaking out all of your clothes? And if I don't like his attitude, I will slit that filled doodle so deep he will flop on the floor like a fish. My God, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I can hear your gears grinding. Your little motor wondering, my gosh, what's next? What's happening to me? <laughs> you precious behold, Bob. You were wide, you were wide as spit in a cotton field. He got him. He oh. got him. <laughs> you want to know how that feels? Unpleasant. So this is a real, like haunted, simmering performance by Pitt. It's always on the edge of like boiling over because Jesse James is a man who's very paranoid about being caught and he's raised in violence and does violence quite regularly. Um, it's also one of the most... It's a, like The performances in this movie are incredible and they're set against such a gorgeous backdrop of like... I don't know... like I've never seen someone make the colour brown look as beautiful as it does in this movie. Roger Deakins is... Uh, like he he's next level when it comes to cinematography and stuff like that um it's directed by andrew dominic um if people i think it's uh animal kingdom he directed i think no uh chopper oh yeah it was david it was david mccard that did animal okay. kingdom yeah okay yeah, i'm not really up in my australian filmmakers but uh i'm uh I, i'm more more there um i prefer their american work than than what they do in their home turf um <laughs> And I think uh, just on, I'm going to be talking a lot about Brad Pitt here, obviously. Um, uh, not, not much else about the rest of the movie. That was that was uh, basically it. So Jesse James is like a man intent on living up to his legend. But I think there's this uh, awareness underneath that legends have to fall in order to, rem- to remember it. It's another Brad Pitt movie, Legends of the Fall, I haven't seen. Another epic western that Brad Pitt is in in the 90s, Legends of the Fall. So uh, It's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, I got that vibe. I was like, this looks like Heaven's Gate or something like that. Yeah. Um, and like as I said, Jesse James is a very paranoid man, which further worsens his capacity which uh, for incredible violence, which is already pretty big. Like he, like there's the train robbery sequence, and when someone says no to him, his first instinct is to hit them on the head with the butt of his pistol. Um, 
and he was obviously molded this way by his environment and his family. All his brothers were in the gang, and the only two survivors are him and Frank James, who's played by uh, briefly by Sam Shepard. Um, and he chose to continue in this fashion despite having a wife and two children to care for. And like I think he finds like a not necessarily a kindred spirit, but someone who um, uh, he can kind of show the error of his ways to even if he's not aware of it in um robert ford uh who's i think he's he's uh he's called bob by a lot of the cast so that's what i'll refer to him as and he, he bob is like a, a boy at the start of the movie i think he's only 18 or 19 years old i think he lies though i think he, he tells people he's 20 and so he's a boy unaware of kind of how difficult the life of an outlaw actually is and the first thing um Sam Shepard says to him is like, why is it the more I talk to you, the more I get the willies? And it's like, he it's a very unsettling performance. It's like, he, he always has this uneasy grimace and like odd speech patterns in this very like kind of dry uh, accent. And it, it just unsettles every scene he's in. I think Jesse loves the hero worship enough to keep Bob around, but not enough that he feels uh, that Bob is worthy of his respect. And there's lots of scenes where, like, uh, Jesse knows what uh, Bob's kind of MO is. Like, he wants to, like, Bob wants uh, love and respect that he never got. And I think Jesse Jesse just thinks it's kind of fun to have a punching bag that, uh, you know, he is reasonably confident won't shoot him in the back. Um, Of course, the... Things things turn out pretty badly in that... that, that, You could call that a poorly aged thing. um, Or poorly aged view. And... I think Jesse is like he's a very usually quite laid back in a lot of scenes. He's um, he's always like anticipating his next gunfight or his next robbery, and uh, but he knows that um, the law is after him, and so he never really gets round to uh, another robbery after that first incredible train se- train robbery sequence. And what's what's odd about this is like I've read I love the narration in this movie uh, which was done by this just this unknown guy he's like he was an assistant editor on the movie I think his name is Hugh Ross or something like that and uh, they uh, hasn't done really done anything bef- uh, before or since in, in voiceover or uh, he sounds like he's, he sounds like he'd be great on a Ken Burns uh, documentary series but the script is always kind of on the edge of just kind of slipping into some kind of mysticism type thing um, and it's it's uh, supported by like lines where like uh, Hugh Ross's narration is like, rooms grew hotter when he was in them, clocks slowed, rain fell straighter, and um, it it just kind of adds this other layer to uh, this move this like very like goth, already gothic movie because on the one hand, in a lot of scenes, um, Jesse James looks like a, an ordinary man, but on the other. As the movie goes on, he's it's almost like he's the embodiment of pure evil. Like there's the scene where he talks to um, Sam Rockwell's Charles Ford, who who is um, Robert Ford's older brother, and um, he like wakes him up in the middle of the night and is trying to suss out whether he's like a, a rat. And then there's a scene with um, Garrett Dillahunt in the early early part of the movie, and Garrett Dillahunt is like. He looks very unhealthy compared to his first appearance in the movie at the start, where his, his like face is gaunt and drawn. And he looks like he has it looks looks like his skin is just stretched over his skull, and it's just in this barren wasteland, and his his cabin is a mess. Um, and almost everyone that like has a one-on-one encounter uh, with Jesse James looks sick, sickly and near death most of the time. 
Um, as does Jesse James, Jesse James himself. He, uh, as the movie goes on, he's um, he's dressed in darker clothes. He has like a he has a beard, but it's kind of heavier around his uh, mouth and chin. Makes it look like kind of like he has a, a sort of a goatee, and he has like red rimmed eyes, and his skin is really pale. And he's basically like the Satan in all like his cruelty and seductiveness of the old west. And his paranoia goes so far that he finds himself torturing a child like threatening to like rip his ear off and like hitting him and he ends up crying afterwards as if he knows what he is but can't see a way out of this like like life he's built for himself and um and he does just these incredibly cruel things to uh the people around him especially robert ford like, like there's a bit where uh, there's a bit where casey affleck is like explaining um the similarities between him and jesse james and at the end of it Brad Pitt just goes, <laughs> just this gives this incredibly cruel fake laugh, and I think like it's credit to Brad Pitt's like just incredible performance that we do like this character, but or maybe maybe like is the wrong word. I think we res- kind of respect this character for just being so committed to like the ways of the old west, so like committed to like this like incredibly toxic kind of masculinity where. The, the only way he can interact with people who aren't like his immediate family is through like incredible cruelty and uh, brutal violence and like I think in the end Jesse is just as much of a coward as Bob is uh, he's just a more charismatic one that's kind of that kind of just sums him up I think like the, the there's one scene where um, Jesse is sitting on the couch this is towards the end and he is sitting on the couch in his home and uh, I think he's smoking a cigar or he's reading the paper or something like that and Robert Ford is on the ground in front of him just playing with like one of Jesse's children's like toy horse or something and it's like oh wow this is some great symbolism of like the one like kind of father son facet of their relationship and yeah I think um, that's all I got that's all I got yeah no it's it's a gorgeous movie I remember yeah Getting to see it at the IFI, you used to do. I'm sure they will do once the pandemic is gone over. But they used to do these open days where they show free movies, and I remember they showed Assassination of Jesse James on 35 millimeter. I'd never seen it, and it just looked absolutely incredible with all the sort of scratches on the film. Yeah. And you know, Deacons is like, as you mentioned, sort of gothic, but also a certain like naturalistic, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's cinematography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's a very beautiful movie, and just a very well told story about. Like, it's a historical story, but it's also yeah. about sort of, like, obsession. Yeah, no, great movie. Um, I'm going to talk about Ad Astra, and... I'm talk not... more like Brad Astra. <laughs> Rad Astra. I'm not sure it's my favourite movie starring Pitt or performance by him. I, th- I think it would probably be Killing Them Softly, which we talked already about on the show, mm. or Burn After Eating or Seven. But but I decided to pick Ad Astra because it's a recent blockbuster, and it cost around $100 million to make. Yet it wasn't a huge hit, so I want to encourage people to seek it out. Mm. And not only do I think it's a gorgeous film, but it has a special place in my heart because I saw it, you know, when I attended my first and only so far prestigious kind of film festival outside of Ireland. I'm hoping to go to more once this goddamn pandemic <laughs> goes away. But I saw Ad Astra at Venice Film Festival in 2019 in a double bill with uh, Marriage Story. And uh, before it, the showing, uh, James Gray, who co-wrote and directed the movie, came out and introduced the movie, which was very cool. And uh, I just had a magical time in Venice to the extent that any time I'm bummed out or stressed, I just close my eyes and <laughs> mentally try to transport myself back there. So pretty much any movie I saw there, I have a fondness for. But, you know, it helps that this movie is very beautiful. 
<laughs> at Astra anyway. Um, so for those who don't know, at Astra centers on astronaut Roy McBride, who's played by Pitt, who is living in a near-future Earth where humanity has plundered most of its natural resources, making space exploration its greatest hope for survival. And the phrase at Astra is Latin for to the stars. And uh, Roy was an orphan. Um, his father, Clifford, uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones, abandoned him to be one of the first pioneers to venture into the outer edges of the solar system. Uh, this is before he and his crew disappeared mysteriously around Neptune. However, when Earth is struck by catastrophic power surges originating from Neptune, all signs point to Clifford still being alive, and it's up to Roy to track down his father and try and save humanity. Please describe how the incident itself affected you. The attack is full of rage. I understand that rage. I've seen that rage in my father. I've seen that rage in me. Because I'm angry. He took off. He left us. But when I, I look at that anger and I, if I push it aside and just put it away, all I, all I see is hurt. So what's worth noting about um, Ad Astra is that it's pretty much wall-to-wall narration from Pitts Roy, which I, which I think can bump with some viewers uh, it bothered me less the second time i actually love it now as you mentioned a movie that has narration assassin just james i kind of like when narration provides audiences information that is important to the characters or the character reciting it that either adds to or even sometimes contradicts with what is being shown on screen and i, I think it can be a great device for getting into um characters inner thoughts and how they process the world and Astra is great for that and um, it also should be noted that Ad Astra is essentially a $100 million art house movie, you know, and there are parallels to be made with Apocalypse Now, with Roy being the sort of conflicted, you know, Captain Willard narrating his odyssey to visit his own personal Colonel Kurtz in Tommy Lee Jones, this highly decorated figure who seems to have gone mad. But it's also an example of one of those, you know, space set sci-fis like Solaris or High Life, where thrills and action aren't really the driving force of the movies. And it's more about a character who journeys into space and after being confronted with the blackness and, you know, the vast loneliness of space, begins to look inward. It's a drama about a man who resents his dad and never really got over being abandoned by him, but is also starting to become like his dad too. And uh, yeah, just Roy is a man who just never got over the loss of his father and he's he's channeled that en- energy into following in his footsteps and being essentially the new golden boy. He's incredible at his job. He's ready for any situation that comes his way. No matter what happens, you know, his blood pressure never rises above 80 beats per minute. Because of all this and the fact that he's like the son of a legend, like the people he works with or comes across through his work always look up to him. And, you know, on the face of it, he seems just like your typical kind of action hero kind of maverick. But in Ad Astra scenes showcasing this side of him are presented alongside of just this very mournful narration by Roy, basically saying that all these achievements haven't made him happy and that while he's capable of doing these like incredible things in space, like he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions and life on the ground. And despite not really knowing his father Clifford, Roy has followed in his footsteps, not only in his career, but in like putting that career over his uh, wife, Eve, played by Liv Tyler, we separated from. And I, I think it can be inferred that Roy's fear of being hurt again by a loved one after being abandoned by his dad 
he's causing him to shut down emotionally with Eve and do what his father did to his wife and Roy's mother, which is leave and channel everything into his career. And I think in one of the first lines of narration that Roy has in the movie, he says, I see myself from the outside, smile, present aside. It's a performance with my eye on the exit. Like he's already talking about like leaving. And I think Pitt's wonderful casting in that because he, he just naturally has that kind of Robert Redford, all-American golden boy vibe like he just yeah. is like an exceptional like piece of specimen <laughs> and as Prime he, american beef yeah exactly but as he's gotten older he's got a few more lines in his face and a few bags under his eyes and but yeah. he's, he's still so hot but i but i think he he has a bit more character and history in his face now which he probably likes because it helps him take on these more diverse roles or of you know these more flawed people and i think and Astra deploys those two sides of pit in that you know, you totally buy how people could believe Pitts Roy is this real-life action man. There's this great bit of kind of William Gibson-esque world-building where um, they're going into a war zone on the moon. And yeah. I, sh- I should say there are moon pirates in this movie. But um, someone asked Roy if he's seen combat, and he's like, three years over the Arctic Circle, and then flashes a smile. And, and the, the guy's like, well, I guess there's not much you haven't seen. Yeah. And Pitt has the swagger to sell bullshit like that. Like, why would someone fight over the Arctic? It's <laughs> it's really cold. And the ice isn't going to be there for much longer. It's going to be water. And um, but you believe it in the moment because Pitt just naturally has that kind of you know confidence. However, at the same time, Pitt's kind of character actor chops are coming through in these subtle, sorrowful stares where you you can see that he's constantly like hiding his true feelings to those around him, but like it's kind of just boiling under the surface, a bit similar to Jesse James in a way. Mm. And um, as well as this kind of excellently written and performed narration that's filled with just self-loathing and also contempt for humanity, how we're kind of our own worst enemies. And it's here that Pitt conveys to the audience that like Roy's action map persona is an act or lie, or just like a coping mechanism for him. Like, he's actually very scared underneath. And, you know, there's this incredible sequence where Roy is involved in the death of a group of fellow astronauts, and I think they tried to kill him and wound up killing each other in the process by accident. And he commandeers their ship and heads to Neptune by himself, and on the way there goes a bit mad with guilt and loneliness. And there's this, like, stunning montage of him just in different positions in the ship, just muttering, muttering to himself over and over again, like, I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm so selfish. I'm so selfish. I've let so many people down. And it's the most raw and exposed and naked emotionally I think I've ever seen Pitt on screen. And I, I think it's from this point on that Roy comes to the realization that his fears are turning him into his father and learns how to kind of break the cycle. And, yeah. you know, that's all great stuff. But I, I think James Gray was really smart enough to know that, you know, you've got to give the multiplex viewers something, you know, like they'd riot if it was just, you know, space daddy issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the film has this uh, really interesting and, and kind of funny, if you think about a structure, whereby Pitts McBride will be ruminating on, you know, why you can't connect with others or the state of humanity, but will then be, you know, suddenly plunged into action sequences that feel pulled from other mainstream space set films. It's like the movie is pulling him off his sort of like introspective journey into like alien or something yeah, you know what yeah. i mean like the opening set piece is you know roy falling to earth in this broken parachute and it's, and it's really thrilling but it feels like you know gravity or something and then yeah. the moon pirate sequence is almost something you'd see in star wars you know the killer monkey bit <laughs> it was a killer monkey yeah. too um that's like out of like alien or life or one of those yeah. kind of like monster you know movies audiences who are less into the sort of like touchy feely stuff you know there's good action stuff here to supply like the action sequences are great but i think what's interesting is the the people who would go to see this movie for the action set pieces might be a little thrown off because as the movie goes on what's interesting is that like 
I think most sci-fi's get more bombastic as they go, whereas here it's the yeah. opposite. Like, Ad Astra actually begins to feel smaller and more intimate as it continues, culminating in this lengthy conversation between Jones and Pitt's characters. Yet here, I think that really works, because on one level, Pitt, you know, after an entire movie of stoicism, looks like he's you know, on the edge of tears, and his character is finally dealing with his, like, emotions in a healthy way. And without giving away too many details, just his, like, delivery of the line... Yeah, I know, Dad. After his uh, father basically lays out all the stuff that McBride does not want to hear. Yeah, yeah. He says, yeah, I know, Dad. And his lip quivers as you say it. And it makes you tear up. Um, Also, you're you're so invested in Roy and the mystery of what happened to his father at that point that you sort of want that combo. Plus, you know, what is ultimately said between father and son winds up putting a uh, a bow on the... I, a really hopeful message I think Ad Astra wants to impart onto viewers because I think so many space movies play up the wonder of space travel and getting to witness all these like new planets and stars and, and I think though some of that wonder is just inherently in Ad Astra because it's, it's lens by um, Christopher Nolan's uh, dude Hoyt van Hoytema and the movie just looks so freaking wondrous. I think it more like thoroughly interrogates why humans dream of space travel and comes to this conclusion that it's an escape from our daily lives and our surroundings and I think the really powerful message of Ad Astra is that, you know, what's most important is on Earth, you know, and, like, humans, at least right now, have only got each other. And so, you know, while Pitt's Roy was previously, you know, so scared of being vulnerable with his wife due to his fear of being hurt or abandoned again, like he was with his father, yeah. um, to the detriment of his relationship with his wife, you know, by the film's end, you, you see him trying to be better. And I, I think the movie is also asking humans to try and be better in terms of how we engage with each other and our surroundings, which is about as good a message a movie can have, especially one as yeah. somber and brooding as um, Astra is for most of its running time. Like, you, you, you're happy at the end of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you like it, right? I remember you give, leave, having a glowing... I love it, yeah. I think it's a great movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I have anything more to add other than what you've uh, said, but I think I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of people complain about all the kind of more sci-fi genre elements in it, like the monkeys or the, the bit where he's like... Uh, flying away from an exploding spaceship using only a panel as a shield against like little meteorites or whatever but that doesn't matter to me when the movie is like imparts such a soul-shaking message it's kind of like um when people are asked why do you climb mountains and it's like because they are there and you know you can't say the same thing for the stars because um, it's there's so much wonder and madness up there that it doesn't really bear thinking about. Like we should really just focus on ourselves, on our planet here, while we still have the time. And I think the me- that that's the message of the movie. And I think uh, like it's hard to find a movie with a better message. Like yeah, you know, absolutely, and the, a better movie that a, a movie that tells its message as well as this one does. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, and that's our that's our picks for Pit. Um, any mm. other Pit thoughts? Still hot. Still hot. After all these years, yeah. I'm still waiting for Bullet Train. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. Yeah, just rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Yeah, email us at inotherfacespod at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to the show. Uh, follow us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. You can find me at the Headstuff Film section and joe.ie. See you later, Cinefans. Bye-bye.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 